0: Hi, I'm Tanya Ransom, creator and executive producer of Nightlight, a horror podcast featuring creepy tales written and performed by Black creatives from all over the world. This week's story is a tale of heritage and tasty treats. But before we get to dastardly desserts, I want to take a moment to say thanks to our newest patrons, Erica, Lindsay, and Bethany. Thanks also to Travis for increasing their donation. If you'd like to support Black Horror and enjoy ad-free episodes, just go to patreon.com nightlightpod to join the Nightlight Legion and get a shout-out on the podcast and occasional bonus content. You can also make a one-time donation to support us at paypal.me nightlightpodcast. And don't forget, Nightlight merch is available, and you can support us by sporting Nightlight branded gear. Just go to merch.nightlightpod.com to get your t-shirts, hoodies, notebooks, and more. Now sit back, turn out the lights, and enjoy. Aunt Sadie's Surprise, written by Michelle Mellon and narrated by Marian Toro.
1: Maybe if I had just dusted off this place once a yearly visit like most of the rest of the family and stayed away without sticking my nose in where it didn't belong, things would be different. Because it turns out the longer you're around, the more likely you are to see things that can't be unseen and learn things you're better off not knowing. My favorite dessert in the whole wide world was Aunt Sadie's surprise, and that's what we called it, right down to the second capital S. Other folks might have called them brownies, but that didn't do them any kind of justice because brownies are just flaky cake, sometimes with peanut butter swirl or chips or nuts. Predictable, boring. Aunt Sadie's dessert was somewhere between the world's best french silk pie and the kind of chocolate cake you had to eat with milk just to get the huggy bits off your teeth. And possibly smooth and creamy, but somehow still chewy. The reason that S in surprise got uppercase treatment was because you never knew what Aunt Sadie was going to throw in there. I suspect most times she didn't either. Inspiration just crossed her path, and there you go, mint, chilies, Pretzels, berries, bacon, no matter what it was, if it ended up inside, it ended up as a mouth-watering treat, most of the time. There was that one time I bent into a piece, and something sharp pierced my tongue. That time, my eyes and my mouth were watering, but not for good. Aunt Sadie snatched that surprise out of my hands and gave it a once-over with her good eye. Nobody ever talks about why her other eyes all patched up like she's some elderly pirate. She let out a harumph, which was usually followed by her muttering, devil done took this one. Instead, she tore off a chunk and chucked it away and handed me back the bulk of it. I could swear that before her tiny mutt swooped in and choked down the discarded piece, there was a big old claw, clear as day, sticking out of the thing and I don't mean some domestic fur baby nail clipping either. It was more like the claw of a bear. That didn't make any sense since Aunt Sadie was barely bigger than a cub herself. So I just smiled and sucked my tongue and palmed the remnants of my surprise till I could toss it away out of Aunt Sadie's sight. But it got me wondering, and I've always been more curious than what was good for me. So after the incident with that talon left me bleeding and wary, I tried several times to steal into Aunt Sadie's kitchen and sneak a peek while she was whipping up her next batch of surprise. Each time, of course, I got chewed away during the surprise making. I should have left it at that and just opened my mouth with a thank you, ma'am, and snapped it shut with the sounds of savoring, but I grew more stubborn. Lord knows why. I mean, even if you'd figured out the mystery of that special texture, I was too lazy to recreate it myself. And the whole point of the thing was to mix up the surprise each time. So even though I felt there was something odd going on, I wasn't sure what I expected to find. It's like when I first came home to this tiny Mississippi town where I'd grown up. I spent many hopeful years out in the great wild world and expected equally great things for myself. When they didn't happen, I came home figuring the comforting arms and reassurances of friends and family would heal me. But sometimes it's best for folks to stay gone once they've left. Best to ignore the pleas and the bargaining to bring you back to a place and a people you didn't even really know you were running from. Best to find out the big bad world isn't so bad by comparison. I always thought Aunt Sadie's name was just Sadie, even though Sadie sounded like a young girl's name and she must have been several million breaths over a hundred years old at her last birthday. Logic says she was a little girl a couple of lifetimes ago, complete with little girl dresses and shoes, holding little girl hopes and dreams inside. But it's one of those things that's hard to fathom and everyone calls her Aunt Sadie and folks swear she's blood kin, but nobody knows just which branch of the family tree rightfully claims her. Then one day, some strange crones showed up at Aunt Sadie's doorstep, and for the first time ever, I saw her looking unsettled. That rattled me a bit, because she always seemed to know people's plans before they did, and she was never one to back down from anything or anyone. But in a brief flash, when she pushed her tiny self out of the rocker on her front porch and focused on that bent woman's shape at the bottom of the steps leading up to the porch, I saw a touch of fear. Cider, as I live and breathe, quoked the bundle of flowered sundress and winter coat and baggy hose with dusty patent leather Mary Jane pumps. What's a cider? I asked before I could stop myself. It's me, hissed Aunt Sadie. Now you get on home. She shooed me off with one hand without losing her laser focus on the woman in the yard. I cursed my out loud question since I might have stayed under the radar for a while if I hadn't made myself known like that. I dawdled long enough to hear Aunt Sadie whisper, What the hell are you doing here? and a long, low answering chuckle from her visitor before Aunt Sadie saw me through a spare eye in the back of her head. I guess because she whirled and gave me a look I'd seen before, the one that offered me the option of getting a few answers to a million questions or escaping with my life. Instead of going home, I went to the library because the computer at my house had become as worn out as the dreams I had when I bought it. That's where I discovered Sada is a name that means happiness. I chuckled unironically and I thought, yeah, I guess that's what aunt Sadie brought to the world with her surprise. So maybe her name referred to the result of the deeds and not the doer herself. Because then all aunt Sadie's scowling and sharp edge words and spoon paddlings when I was little might get made up for with that scrumptious treat she made. So it's one thing to find out your aunt Sadie has a fuller name than the one everyone knows. But when I went by her house the next day to see if I could wrangle up some information about her visitor, I discovered a whole new one. See, Aunt Sadie didn't answer my knock, So I went on in like I normally do because every day might be the day I find her permanently asleep in her lounger or at the kitchen table or in that claw foot tub of hers. She wasn't in any of those places, but I could hear something. It was low and melodic, like a chant. Aunt Sadie always said she didn't go in for that kind of stuff. But when I crept to the basement door at the back of the kitchen and slipped down a few steps, who do you think was there in the center of the place? I closed, singing strange words as soft as you please. Most of it. I couldn't make hide no hair of. But there were some words I could hear being repeated. I am called. Lamia, hear my lament, my young were destroyed, my heart has been rent, I'm the eater of joy, I'm the eater of pain, I'm the eater of babes, the source of the twain. I backed away slowly up the stairs. It wasn't the fact that Aunt Sadie's singing had started to sound like soft hisses. It wasn't the fact that, in my surprise, I hadn't noticed and now was fully aware that Aunt Sadie stood in the center of the basement, swaying back and forth in just the skin she was born in. It wasn't the fact that she had taken off her eye patch and underneath was an indentation where an eye should have been crisscrossed by jagged black stitches like a hasty repair to an injured doll. It was all those things combined with the creepy words and the feeling that nothing good was coming out of this and knowing nothing good would come of me being caught as witness to it. I wasn't thinking Aunt Sadie was a witch, more like a sorceress. In my head, I knew they meant the same thing but it's all about perception, isn't it? A witch is wicked and ugly with bony crooked fingers and warts, and a sorceress is beautiful with smooth skin and flowing locks and a smile that says, you're safe with me. Truth be told, Aunt Sadie looked more like what people made a witch out to be. There was the one eye, of course, extra large and dark brown on a bed of brightest white, and it rolled impossibly in all directions. Her lips were more like suggestions than actual protuberances. Her skin had the same hue and folded terrain of a walnut shell. And only one person in our family, cousin Bettina living up in Chicago, was blessed with hair that straightened nice enough to flow like the godmothers I saw in fairy tales when I was growing up, Aunt Sadie kept her hair natural and twists that popped off her head like those creepy underwater worms I saw once at an aquarium. Yet, Aunt Sadie was the one who could always nurse a wounded animal to health or fix our minor ailments with a tea steeped from this or that random plant or know when a coming storm was a huddle in the front room listening to the tin roof kind of storm or. Aboard the windows and shelter in the root cellar kind of storm. It didn't seem like witchcraft, just wisdom. Even when I was a child, Aunt Sadie seemed older than the whole town. Like she was the mother of everything that ever had or what happened in this dot on the map of the Mississippi Delta. And though she must have had stories to tell, if there was one thing you learned real early on, It was you didn't ask Aunt Sadie any questions about anything that didn't have to do with your 3R homework, or if you could help with the dishes, or the sweeping, or maybe her thoughts on the previous Sunday sermon. But there was the dollhouse. Growing up, I spent a lot of time with Aunt Sadie so my mom could pull extra time at work. Up in one of Aunt Sadie's unused bedrooms was an antique dollhouse. As a child, I spent hours rearranging the furniture and creating lives for the little people within. Occasionally, I'd muse aloud about modern things my toy family needed. A baking oven that wasn't filled by firewood, an indoor commode, one of those new suburban wagons that carry everyone to an imaginary town for an imaginary picture show. And the next time I'd come to play at the dollhouse, that very thing would be sitting there like magic. It was some time before I realized Aunt Sadie stood outside the cracked door when I played and heard the things I wanted. I knew she didn't buy them. Back then, and in all my subsequent five decades of living, I had never seen Aunt Sadie with so much as a coin in her hand. At first, I thought maybe she created those tiny things from nothing. But then there were the reports of things going missing here in town and the auto dealership in the city missing a brand new wagon off the lot. If I'd been an adult then, I would have just thought it was all coincidence. As a kid, I decided Aunt Sadie must have shrunk those things down to dollhouse size and brought them there for me. But that was all the stuff of childhood fantasy and largely forgotten, until a week or so after the old woman visited. I happened to be upstairs, airing out Aunt Sadie's room, and I noticed a new figure in front of the dollhouse. I bent down to peek and popped right back up. Then I left the room slowly, as if I were being watched, trying to remain calm and do my best to pretend I hadn't recognized the stranger with the bent stature, mixed up seasoned clothing, saggy stockings, and dirt doled Mary Jane shoes, now forever frozen in miniature form. Aunt Sadie was different, even more quiet and secretive than she'd ever been before, and real sad, like the sadness had always been there But she'd buried her injuries under so much of the stuff that she almost forgot it. And then when that lady came, she blew all the bandages right off the wounds. Mind you, I didn't say anything to anyone about the woman or what I heard and saw down in the cellar up at the dollhouse. But Aunt Sadie started looking at me different. At all of us, anyone who came by like we were strangers, More so, like we weren't human. Just legged lumps of flesh with the insane notion we had names and minds and lives. But she knew better. A couple of months went by and Aunt Sadie hadn't made her surprise. When normally you could count on it every other week or so. I know I was despairing of ever having it again. Even if another taste meant enduring her now omnipresent withering side-eye. I also knew from overhearing other folks that I wasn't the only one with a craving and a fear that this apathy and anger was the beginning of the end of Aunt Sadie. In my nightly prayers, I blamed that visiting woman and whatever darkness came with cider. In the mystery of the basement nonsense, I waited to be struck down right there on my bedroom knees since prayers aren't the place for lodging your petty complaints. But each night I laid me down to sleep, and each morning I awoke to the same answerless, surprise-free existence. Till one morning, when I thought real hard about what I'd seen and heard, and smacked myself for not paying attention sooner, I went straight to the library. That's where I learned Aunt Sadie, or Lamia, fancied herself some sort of ancient snake woman, or even her lost children or so the various myths said. And that brings me to the point of this tale, or not the point, really, the climax, as I learned in my one semester of college-level literature, that being the other part of the Lamia myth, the part about this woman so engulfed with grief and rage over losing her own children that she eats children, or so the various lore said. Shortly after that round of scholarly snooping, Aunt Sadie threw her door open wide one afternoon and invited one and all for the latest dishing up of her surprise. I'm fairly sure there were some elbows thrown and hair pulled to get into the door and get a share, but living only two doors down, I managed to get in and out before things got too ugly. Back on my porch, I gave a brief thought as to why Aunt Sadie had started to bake again, but given that the annual family reunion was coming up in a few weeks, I chalked it up to her wanting to get herself back in stride. My surprise was still warm in my hands. I sniffed it and took the exploratory peek around the edges to make sure I didn't see anything odd poking out. Seemed safe enough, but just to be sure, I tore the piece in half, and that was the beginning of the end. This extra-thick surprise had bits of what one might think were extra-large chocolate or candy chips, but they were quite a distinctive shape. If you watch the TV show Fringe, you know what I'm talking about. The apple, with the silhouettes. Except these weren't some sci-fi symbols on a the screen. These appeared to be actual miniature fetuses hiding out in a dessert that right now about two dozen people were chomping into without a second look or thought, licking their lips and wondering what extra special flavor clever old Aunt Sadie had added this time. I dropped the dessert on the porch and rushed inside for a few minutes of dry heaves in the bathroom. Even in the midst of my disgust, I was sad for the ruination of my surprise. Sure enough, when I came back outside, there were people skipping past my place, smacking their lips, and wishing aloud that Aunt Sadie did a repeat of that particular recipe. I gathered up my abandoned surprise, hurried into the house, wrapped it up real careful, and put it in the freezer. Now I had evidence. But of what? I hadn't actually eaten any of it. Maybe those were just some sick party favor bacon bits for a baby shower. But what if they weren't? Suddenly, I was a child again, lost in dollhouse dreams. Had Aunt Sadie conjured these minuscule infants out of thin air? Or were their babies suddenly missing from orphanages and hospital wards that she shrunk down specifically for this purpose? And if she, Lamia, was the child eater. Why serve them to us? Aunt Sadie retreated again in the days leading up to the reunion. We'd always called it a family reunion, but there was a stretch to it like most things in this town because we were small and everyone acted like family anyhow. So, it was more like an annual gathering of kin with blood kin traveling from all over to see the old folks before they were gone. Anyways, I heard a knocking out front. Suddenly, Aunt Sadie was in my kitchen doorway before I had a chance to leave my sunrise tea to see who else was up at that hour. Although I expected her to look smaller and older from her stretches of solitude and secrecy, her big brown eyes shone brightly and she was standing up to all her nearly five foot height. What are you doing, child? She rasped at me. I'm finishing my tea. Then I'm making up a couple of guest beds upstairs. Then I'm making my spicy mac and cheese for the picnic. I don't know why we played the game. We both knew my plan. It hadn't changed for any innumerable reunion years. If Aunt Sadie needed help, she'd just interrupt the task at hand and demand my presence. But this time, Aunt Sadie asked me to help her get her surprise ready to transport to the city park. And that scared me more than baby bits, or bear claws, or shrunken ladies, or naked slithering basement incantations. I told her I'd be over as soon as I got dressed. I figured if I stalled long enough, that would give me some time to recruit another early riser or two as companions. But when I came back downstairs, she was still there, waiting. So there was nothing I could do but follow her over to her place, alone. Her house was unnaturally quiet, and it felt tense, like the whole place was holding its breath. Nearly every surface in the kitchen was covered with Aunt Sadie's surprise, sitting on foil sheets. I made a beeline for the sink, washed my hands, and started wrapping up sections of surprise and placing the packets into the large wicker baskets on the kitchen table. I did not pause for time to wonder what the special ingredient was. I did not point out the overabundance because there were some families not coming this year because of the COVID. I did not look at Aunt Sadie. I did not allow that my world was anything other than the transfer of goods to baskets and preparation for the procession to the park. And oh, what a production it always was, like a parade without the formality of floats and a marching band, no matter. Those things would have just gotten in the way of the human puffery to come because people would be scurrying around for the next few hours, prepping and cooking and packing up. They'd put on their Sunday best and load up arms and wagons for a small town feast, fit to do the Delta proud. Even Aunt Sadie slipped away at some point to start getting ready. I hurriedly finished packing up the surprise and escaped to my house. I wasn't sure if this temporary freedom was a good thing or if I just wanted the other shoe that I knew was wavering overhead to just drop down on me. I tried to relax as I did myself up and placed my steaming trays of jalapeno mac and cheese in my little red wagon to take to the park. On my way out, I glanced at the freezer and thought about the Baby Bits packet of surprise sitting within. Best case, was that I was delusional about everything that had been happening in the past few months. And that didn't really seem like a best scenario to me. At the reunion, Aunt Sadie was in rare form, literally. She wore some tight-fitting jumpsuit I hadn't seen before, which made her movement smooth and slinky and at least half a century younger than she was. And instead of her usual surly self, She was downright coy. I spent the first half of the reunion goggling at Aunt Sadie instead of mingling with folks I hadn't seen since last year. Then it came time to eat. All the dishes were spread out across four large park picnic tables. Things were sizzling and bubbling and the smells wafting off those tables was enough to make a meal in itself. Heaven's buffet awaited and I had absolutely no appetite. All the folks lined themselves up nice and proper and started with their plates at the beginning of the line. Before they reached the second table, most folks' plates were already piled high. But no matter what temptations lay between them and the last table of desserts, everyone made sure to make space for Aunt Sadie's surprise. Aunt Sadie didn't get in line kept saying how she wanted to weigh the spell as she slinked around in that shiny onesie of hers as if emphasizing the why of her weight. That didn't help my unease any, and as I moved down the line, I grabbed food so as to not make certain people mad, not because I was planning to eat any of it. By the time I got to the last table, my plate was as heavy as my heart. Had Aunt Sadie finally gone off the deep end and no one else noticed? or were they too polite in that usual Southern way to deal with it head on? The last thing I wanted to do was pick up my piece of surprise. Who knew what she'd cooked up this time? But again, no one else seemed to care, and there was no way that skipping it was going to escape anyone's notice. There was a tradition to say grace before anyone began eating, which usually consisted of the mayor. He was not a Sunday regular, hemming and hawing his way through some phrases he had heard somewhere that sounded churchly. Then people dug in. I just watched them, until I realized I was being watched. Of course it was Aunt Sadie, sliding from table to table, making sure everyone was enjoying the meal like she was the hostess and had cobbled it together all on her own. But even with only that one eye, she somehow managed to socialize with folks while checking what I was and wasn't doing. When she made a beeline for me at last, I felt relief. Here we were. This was it. She'd say something crazy, and I'd have dozens of witnesses. Or we'd have some sort of exchange, and everyone would realize I was the crazy one. Either way, it'd be resolved. Of course, it didn't go that way at all. I had an idea when you were a little girl that you were special, Aunt Sadie said. You could see the magic, but you could also see through it. Have you been testing me? I blinked. Somehow, there'd been a disconnect between my brain, which was ready to scoff and hop around, pointing at the crazy old woman, and my mouth, which was acting like this, was a perfectly acceptable response to a perfectly irrational statement. I had to, Aunt Sadie inferred. The woman you saw at my house that day, she was the first. The first what? Limey. Aunt Sadie growled, as if it were obvious. She came to tell me my time as the goddess was up. Not that I hadn't known for some time. I could feel it. I needed to pass the mantle on to the next one. To me? I was close to shouting, but somehow no one was paying attention to us, even as I continued in the same nonsensical vein. You think I'm going to become some baby-eating enchantress? I've never even had any children to grieve. That's why my last surprise and this final one were different, she said, waving her arm wide across the scene of the reunion. I looked and it was like seeing our family for the first time. All the good and preciousness of them without the petty grievances and grudges. They were pure and innocent, and I felt nothing but love and longing and the happiness to be among them. Around the same time I realized Aunt Sadie's baby surprise was designed to project these sensations. My brain went back to another thing she said, this final one. I watched our folk devouring Aunt Sadie's reunion surprise. They were all smiles and giggles as they relished each morsel. Some of them even risked a scolding by skipping the main meal to start with that dessert. And then they began to die. Not in a gasping, coughing, clawing at their throats and eyes in anguish kind of way. It was much more horrific in its own peaceful passage. One minute, they were life and everything good about it. The next, they looked to the two of us with such sadness and some knowledge of what was happening, but no comprehension as to why. But I knew. My family, my friends, had all been made childlike by Aunt Sadie's surprise, and then brought low by the scene so that I could know the anguish of losing the contents of my heart while it was still beating. As I fell to the grass and knelt, there with the wind blowing the smells of cooling barbecue and baked goods over me, Aunt Sadie sashayed away. And I instantly had so many answers to so many questions. I knew Aunt Sadie had shrunk lami at the first out of anger at having been chosen and having to choose this life for another, but that eventually the first goddess would return to her immortal human form. I knew I wouldn't see Aunt Sadie again until my time came to relinquish the burden she'd given me. I knew Aunt Sadie would live the rest of her infinite lifespan without much of the power I could feel growing in me now. After a long while, I stood and my eyes shone with grief and purpose. Sider had proven the consumption didn't have to be about flesh and form. The joy she gave to people with her surprise, she reaped that to feed her need. The world was a fractured place these days, eager for comfort and connection. I would find a new place for my own family, stoke the front-line altruism and bravery in this hurricane of pandemic and social change to get what I needed as the world tried to knit itself back together. An infinite number of decades lay before me, so I knew at some point this day, this park would live on not as actual memory, but as an unrelenting, ambiguous agony. And despite everything that had happened, and everything yet to come, I felt certain my clearest memory would always be of the dual delight and disappointment of Aunt Sadie's surprise.
0: Thanks again to our patrons for supporting this podcast. Because of your support, listeners around the world get creepy tales in their ears every other week. If you want new stories every week, the only way for that to happen is to join the Nightlight Legion by going to patreon.com slash nightlightpod and supporting this podcast. You can also make a one-time donation via PayPal at paypal.me slash nightlightpodcast. If you're unable to support us financially, word of mouth is the next best way to help. Give us a shout-out online on Twitter or Instagram at nightlightpod, or like us on Facebook at Nightlight Pod. Reviews are also a huge help, so please be sure to leave a few kind words on your podcast platform of choice. Audio production for this episode by Jen Zink. And to thank you for listening until the very end, we have a creepy fact for you. Pretty much everyone who grew up in the 80s and 90s had their parents obsessively check their Halloween candy before they were allowed to eat it because of a supposed string of candy poisonings. But the real story is perhaps more sinister. On Halloween of 1974, a Texas father named Ronald O'Brien gave candy laced with cyanide to his five children. Only his eight-year-old son named Timothy ate the candy and subsequently died. Investigators determined he did this for life insurance money, seeing as how he'd just taken out policies on all of his children weeks before. While that is the event that frightened modern-day parents, there actually is a case of mass poisoning of Halloween candy. In 1858, a baker named William Hardiker accidentally put arsenic in his sugar. You see, back then, sugar was expensive and was often cut with things like gypsum. Unfortunately for Hardiker, his pharmacist supplier was out sick and the drugstore assistant gave the baker arsenic instead of gypsum. Over 200 people were poisoned and 21 died. The drugstore assistant faced charges that were later dropped, but the incident was the catalyst for laws regulating pharmacies that are still in place today. Join us next week for an interview with Michelle, and be sure to leave your nightlight on. You never know what might be preparing you in the dark. The Fable and Folly Network